This is the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, where you'll get ideas about improving your bottom line in business and in life from experts around the world. Well, let's start, if you don't mind, by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and what it is that you're doing at UC Merced. So I'm an associate professor of sociology at UC Merced. Um, I'm affiliated with the UC Merced Community and Labor Center. And we do research on um, issues of, uh, that relate to community labor and employment um, in the San Joaquin Valley and the state of California and beyond. You and an associate have just come out with a, a paper that anybody who reads it would say is both shocking and, yeah, I kind of suspected that. <laughs> would, would you tell our audience a little bit about that? Sure. Um, in July, our censor released um, a policy brief, Hidden Threat, California COVID-19 Surges and Worker Distress. Um, in it, we examined the relationship between uh, low-wage uh, worker households, um, large households, and, um, and uh, COVID-19 positivity rates above 8%, uh, which placed counties on the state's watch list. And 8%, for those who haven't been paying attention, is a very serious level, to say the least. To what do you uh, uh, attribute this uh, bizarre behavior in the Central Valley? Well, I wouldn't call it bizarre behavior. I think, um, uh, so when we look at the relationship between um, low-wage worker households, large households, and, um, and COVID, we see that... Um, uh, in those counties that have above the state average um, in household size and um, lo- low-wage uh, worker households, um, that uh, th- these counties are um, almost uniformly on the state's COVID-19 uh, uh, watch list with positivity rates above 8%. Um, 14 out of 15 of the counties that meet that criteria were on the watch list with uh, positivity rates above 8%. Of those that did not meet the criteria that I just uh, mentioned of large households and um, low-wage uh, households, uh, out of 37 counties, only two were on the state's uh, watch list with positivity rates above 8%. Um, and, and so um, what this indicates is that, um, that COVID-19 is um, spreading not just because people don't wear masks or because um, you know, crowds are gathering in public, but because of some dynamic that's um, occurring within the workplace um, in these counties. Uh, so many of the low wage workers in the Valley, of course, work in agriculture, either in the uh, packing sheds or out in the fields. If they're in the fields though, that presumably would be more healthy than a lot of other environments. Well, um, we're not too sure still about how uh, COVID spreads through air, uh, through aerosols. Um, I mean, that's still a, a, a topic of debate and research. Um, but what we do know is that um, uh, worker health and safety are key to mitigating the spread in low-wage essential workplaces. And unfortunately, this hasn't gotten as much attention as um, you know some of the other um, uh, more dominant um, discussions. Um, in the public arena. We, we keep hearing that it's important to wear masks and not to visit family. A lot of the focus is on our private behavior. Um, uh, 
less of it is on what is happening in low-wage essential workplaces. And, and I would like to add that the policy interventions at this point have largely uh, focused on protecting middle-class workers. Um, as a professor, I can work from home. I have that option. Um, I also have the option of taking time off from work because I get paid well enough that I don't have to worry about putting food on my table or paying the rent. Many American workers do not have those luxuries and they are worried about how to put food on a table and how to pay the rent. And so um, because we have failed to grapple with the effect that the pandemic has had on the, those furthest on the margins, uh, the lowest earning workers, um, we've effectively failed to mitigate the spread of COVID um, in, in those spaces. I, I heard uh, some commentator recently, or perhaps it was a politician, saying that the spread of the disease among low-wage uh, earners uh, is almost going to seemingly would, would, would wipe out uh, an entire socioeconomic class of people if, if it were allowed to continue. I, I, well, um, I, I think it's right to... Um, to share a sense of urgency and um, and just um, disappointment with the way that our policies have failed us, but but it is important to just um, to put things into perspective and to be aware that most people who contract COVID won't die. Um, so I I don't believe that it would wipe out an entire uh, workforce of people. What I do think it's going to wipe out um, are entire businesses um, that it's going to put entire industries to halt if we don't if, if we fail to mitigate the spread of this virus because even people who shop don't want to go to stores when they know that their their health is at risk and and so the question is what interventions can we make so that businesses can stay open so that workers can work um, so that you know we can enjoy a better standard of living than what we have when there are stay-at-home orders schools are shut down businesses are shut down entire industries can't function and, and what thoughts do you have on that? What, uh, what should be done? If you had the, the magic wand and you were to go to the governor or the guy in the White House and say, I've got the magic wand, here's the solution, let's do this, what would that be? I think an effective magic wand would have uh, an emergency temporary standard for uh, worker health and safety. Um, with uh, This is not popular among businesses, but you know, with, uh, with consequences for those businesses that fail to comply. Um, uh, and as well, um, a greater safety net for low-wage workers that are unable to access traditional unemployment benefits, paid sick leave uh, or, or family leave. Um, and um, and uh, a magic wand would also have um, uh, more transparency reporting by, um, by industry so that we understand where COVID is spreading and we can more effectively tailor our responses. Um, and these things may sound a little crazy in this context, but they're being done in other countries. Um, in other places, there's greater transparency um, and uh, stricter standards, um, you know, in workplaces. Um, and, and those have been effective in mitigating the spread of COVID, which I think is a lesson to us. If, if we love business so much and we love our independence and, you know, being able to be in public as much as possible, um, you know, let's, let's implement those things that are effective um, and, uh, uh, you know, so that we can reduce the spread of the virus and um, enjoy these things we love. Our uh, audience, the, the folks watching and listening, primarily business people and some middling level uh, uh, 
state and federal employees for some reason. Uh, what, what, what can a business owner do today or tomorrow to, to help the situation? I think they can work with their Chamber of Commerce to effectively um, show support for um, better standards in the workplace. Uh, because if, um, you know, if, if, if we have, uh, if we have um, industry standards that are a race to the bottom and, um, you know, cutthroat economic competition, it may be that business owners are afraid to have strict standards because their efficiency might go down because their competition might produce more than they can and put them out of business. I mean, we need to have, uh, we need to have a, a fair playing field for all businesses, but at the same time, safeguard the health and safety of workers so that those businesses can continue to prosper. Now, we have been all over the map with uh, questions and answers. What would you like to add that I haven't been bright enough to, to ask you? No, nothing at all. I think you asked great questions. Um, and I want to thank you for your interest in this topic. I know it's, um, uh, you know, COVID-19 is uh, the, the most serious um, issue that our country faces today. Um, people are dying. People are out of work. Uh, small businesses are being lost. Um, we haven't yet found the right uh, policies uh, for navigating this crisis. Um, but the difficult thing is to have these conversations, um, to listen, uh, uh, you know, to learn about what it is that we're not already doing that we could do so that we can begin to experience the freedoms that we love once again. You've been listening to the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast one-on-one interviews with experts in business and personal growth. Thanks for listening.